Cold Stove Podcast, live from the Wash Media Studios, Wash Media HQ, Wash Media Headquarters, the People Lodge, whatever you want to call it. We're live, Cold Stove Podcast, from Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Brad Merriman. In front of me, NRD from the Rumor Cave. NRD, how was your Memorial Day weekend? Fun. Hockey's heating up. I think we uh, we got some interesting series going on. Had some time to kick back. Have a couple margaritas. Shouts to Bobby Margarita. Didn't have Bobby's margaritas yet. Haven't been able to get up to the Great White North and get a hand on them yet. But uh, some homemade margarita action on Memorial Day weekend. Wow. Do you use a, uh, do you go frozen or just just on the rocks? No, on the rocks. Okay. Never frozen. Okay. I'm not a frozen guy either. Makes my, nope. uh, I feel like I have strep throat after I have frozen margaritas. Yeah, it's a little strange. I don't like the whole, like, I feel like I'm drinking a slushy. I feel like it's a child's drink at that point. Just Give me rocks. like one a summer and I, and I've had my fill. You know what I am getting into now? This is, you know, Hit welcome me. to Cold Stove and Alcohol Podcast. Stop with the Blanco. I'm going with the Reposado and Margaritas now. Ooh, okay. Much smoother. Different gives it a different taste. Wait till you have some uh when you're down at the in Austin, you'll have some añejo, which yeah. is a little bit smokier, almost like a bourbon. Mm-hmm. That's that's a big time uh margarita addition. That's a jump. There you oh, go. Yeah. Uh I was in Lake Nacogdoches, Texas. Pretty there cool, you. pretty cool spot. Um, had a good time, missed some hockey, unfortunately, but, uh, excited to be back in it this week. And RD, you know what I learned by the way, in the South Memorial Day weekend, not as, even close to as much of a thing as it is up North. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been, down. it's been summer for eight weeks here already. So a lot of things probably down South are not, uh, as big as they are up North. So you could say that, um, speaking of things that aren't as big as they are up North, Edmonton and Colorado. I guess it is up north, unless you're biz, and then Colorado's in the south. But yeah, I get where you're getting at. Yeah, I'm I trying. I was trying to sideway there. Anyway, yeah, it wasn't bad. I'll, I'll give it like an E for effort. Was Kel McCarr offsides? Yeah, of, cor- of course he was. He was he, totally offsides. I don't understand. And then you got Dave Jackson, you know, who, who does the, uh, you know, the the rules analyst for ESPN. He's on the he's on the rink. He's tweeting out videos of him trying to break it down in slow motion. He's like 60 years old. He can't skate anymore. The the bottom line is, you're gonna determine possession from a guy who's like he's possessing the puck, just because it's not touching his stick. He's you have to you can't hold the puck, you can't drag the puck on your stick for the full 200 feet of the ice. Like it's gonna bounce around from one side of the stick to the other. He has possession of that puck. Like if if he was mid if he was mid stick handle, like if he, if he was just going boop 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 back and forth, that's that's possession. Yeah, he's off sides. It's offsides. And not that I just, we have a financial stake in the Edmonton Oilers winning the Stanley Cup, which I do. I don't know if NRD does. NRD does. But like. NRD has two teams. NRD has two of the final four teams. Oh, okay. Okay. But it's, just, it's offsides. Like there's no, there, I, what, what's the, the tag up rule is being cited. Now everybody's trying to be all high and mighty. Like, oh yeah, according to the rule, it's like if you, you technically are tagging up and technically he's okay. No, get possession of the puck. I, I really don't I don't understand the argument. I understand the the rule they're trying to dig into, but I fundamentally disagree with the fact that he didn't have possession of the puck. Like he did. Do you understand that and I'm not saying like you should, I don't know. I'm mean, this is more so a question. I was trying to just segue with your wording. Does it make a difference in the final score of that game? Does Colorado lose the yeah. game if that's offsides? I mean, it, 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 if you look at it in a vacuum, that makes the game 6-6 instead of 7-6 at one point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's hard because, like you said, unless you're looking at it in a vacuum of everything happens the way it does, you know, minus that one play. But 
Which is obviously impossible to do. It's impossible. And Mike Smith was dog shit. So do they win that? Does Colorado win that game outright either way? I probably say yes. Yeah. But you can look at it and say, well, take one one less goal off the board. Mm -hmm. And there you go. So is in the grand scheme of things, I mean, it, it it made a difference. It made a difference. But offsides are not aside. That is one of my favorite hockey games I've ever watched. That's up there with Tampa Bay, Florida, game one of the divisional series. I think it was last year. Yeah. First with like, year. if you want to get somebody into the game of hockey, you show them that, which is sort of like, hey, it, goals. Goals work. Speed works. I, I had a tweet where it was like, after every period of the series, I'm going to need a cigarette. And then I'd quote tweet. I was like, you know what? I'm, I might need two. Yeah. Because, and you know what's great about gosh. that too? 8 p.m. on the East Coast. Those two oh, teams. Oh, it's prime time. Prime, prime time, time on the East Coast. Everybody watches Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon and Kel McCarr and Evander Kane, who's playing really well in the playoffs right now, and Leon Dreisaitl and Devontae's. Everybody in the country is watching it. Yeah, because normally that it's past their bedtime. Yep. When Connor McDavid, you know, drops the puck in Edmonton, it's 10:30. Yep. So the game needs more of that. Uh, I think that's obvious, but your thoughts on sort of the first game and then game two tonight in uh, in Denver. Yeah, I didn't expect Edmonton to keep up. I mean, we know Edmonton can, Edmonton can score, right? I just thought that there was going to, I had a feeling Colorado was going to win going into that game. I did tweet out after the Rangers won in game seven against Carolina, my early Eastern Conference and Western Conference finals predictions. I did say Edmonton, uh, Edmonton, Tampa in the Stanley Cup finals. Uh, That was my early thought. I mean, obviously things changed by the minute. That was just, you know, gut check time soon as that, uh, soon as the buzzer sounded in game seven of round two. But I did expect Colorado at home to come out firing and they did. Um, As for game two tonight, you have to stick with Mike Smith if you're Jay Woodcroft. He's been Which, by goalie. the way, he, he is starting. Okay, so yeah, he makes the right call there. Mike Smith is your guy. He's been historically dog shit in game ones, you know, throughout these playoffs and throughout his career, really. He's like 0-5 in game ones. So you stick with him. You know he was the guy that you entrusted to take this ship wherever it goes in the postseason. And it's gut check time for the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, you've shown that you can keep up on the scoring end, play a little defense, you're down, you know, Darcy Kemper on the other side. Pavel Francois uh, is in the net for, for Colorado. Get to him early. Get pucks on net. I know it's cliche, but Edmonton's got a real shot to steal one on the road tonight. I I even go so, so far as to say that we're, we're talking Schmerman bets here, not NRD bets. I uh, I, I loaded up on, on Edmonton tonight. Plus 155 I got. So I was like, you know what? That's value. Their goalie's not there, even though it's in, in Denver. I think they showed that they can keep up with that pace. Mm-hmm. Get a day of rest, and and we're back. So, I was impressed by, um, and I've been impressed by him the last couple of games. I wanted to s- sort of a non-heralded Edmonton Oilers, and that's Ryan McLeod, yeah. and his line for that matter. Do you think this kind of comes down to third line versus third line when you have so much firepower going against each other with one and two? Yeah, it does come down to who has the deeper club, but. Like you said, to your point about McLeod and, and the way Edmonton's kind of shown throughout the playoffs, they're deeper than people think. And I totally. wonder, I mean, pound for pound, you could say it comes down to third line versus third line. I think these two teams are like evenly matched there too. Maybe Edmonton has a slight edge, but 
It's so, close. Like, just just give me your gut reaction here, okay? Yep. So it is Fogel, McLeod, Puglia, Yarvi. Third line mm-hmm. versus Newhook, Comfort, Bur- Burakovsky. Based on current performance, I lean Edmonton. I do too. Yeah. I do too. You know, and, and Comfort kind of shut us up last game, but that's sort of a different Two goals deal. in a, you know, rampant scoring event, so. And I like I liked both of those lines, but McLeod and Fogel, you know, it's funny is they, they sort of play, you can tell McLeod and Fogel have been watching Connor McDavid in practice. They both do the crossover thing. They both have that, like, super quick stick handling thing that, that Connor McDavid does naturally that they have obviously learned and gleaned a little bit of. But I think I like that Edmonton third line right now. Yeah. And then the fourth line with Cassian on it, just going out, you can clearly know that we're just trying to hit you. Mm-hmm. That's all we're doing is throwing our body at you. We're, we're going to make this shift hurt. And if they continue to do that, even though Colorado high-flying game one, you get three or four games of that, you get banged up. Yeah. You get sick of it. You get sick of chasing the puck in your defensive zone and getting smoked by Zach Cassian, Josh Archibald. So Ed- Edmonton, listen, I, like I said, <laughs> Gut check right after game seven in round two. I had Edmonton beating Colorado, and people were like, no shot. Edmonton's a good team, and what's what's crazy to think is they've gotten this far with Mike Smith and been able to keep up in the offensive end. Could you imagine if they went out and acquired a good goaltender? I don't I think there'd be a question right now that if they had a great goaltender, they'd be far and away the Stanley Cup favorites at this point. Well, that's what the whole last week has been about, right, is, is what if Jacob Marstrom didn't tell them two hours before free agency started? That he was going to be a Calgary Flame. Mm-hmm. Like if if Jacob Marstrom's is the Edmonton Oilers goaltender right now, you know that's obviously hypothetical thinking, but that's a, a dynamite team. Yeah. Even though Mike Smith, like, give him credit, he's Mike Smith, and he's gonna he's going to steal a game and just be sprawled out, and Parts are gonna be hitting the, his back. Yeah, and it's gonna work. But I'll tell you what, it, it's gonna be a fun series moving forward. I I like the. Backup goalie tonight, I think Edmonton, that gives them a little confidence. If they can steal one in Colorado, they know that they're set up for the rest of the series. That's why I, I think the thinking is there for Edmonton tonight. And they can make me look like an idiot, so we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, the series that is going on across from them is New York and Tampa NRD. If you told me New York was going to win the first game 6-2, I don't know if I'd believe you. Does this kind of reek of Tampa having too much time off in your opinion and they need a little bit a uh, little bit of grease on the wheels or is this a, a genuine concern in Florida I don't think it's a genuine concern if I told you that I wouldn't have believed myself either I, I was shocked by the way the Rangers performed in game one Tampa did and I just saw an interesting stat I you know could scroll through my phone and see who to attribute it to but people out there will find it anyway that Tampa still outshot the Rangers like 10 to 3 or 10 to 2 from the from the high slot. So Tampa still got the chances. Shesterkin was outstanding in game one. He really was. Um what really concerned not concerned long term, but concerned me was Tampa didn't look like a team that was, you know, had dust and they were on the shelf for a while. Andre Vasilevsky looked like a goalie who hadn't seen game speed shots in nine days. I think yeah. that was the most concerning thing. Today he skates before Tampa Bay's practice with the goaltending coach doesn't participate in Tampa's, you know, main practice today at MSG. So, I mean, if anything, my concern is not the team. It's Andre Vasilevsky being on the shelf for nine days. 
he looked like a goaltender who had not seen game speed play in that long. Not the team necessarily, but the goaltender himself. That's the only concern I have. But yeah, I'd be shocked too to say that the Rangers, you know, went out there and just beat down Tampa and they had an answer for everything Tampa did, right? In the first period, the first, you know, first 25, 30 minutes of that game, it went back and forth. The Rangers got a lead, then Tampa came back, then the Rangers took a 2-1 lead, Tampa came back. And then from there, the Rangers just, it was all systems go. They played that Gallant style of hockey that we saw in Vegas when Vegas went on their Stanley Cup run. And they just beat down teams, large in part, to the kid line. I mean, Filipino looks like a different Filipino. It looks like they just took somebody else's DNA and implanted it in Filipino. And not the uh, perpetual trade bait Filipino. Yeah. He's a, a, a legit player for this team now. Different player and to his credit, and you know, there's a lot of, you know, not bust talk around Alexei Lafreniere, but he hasn't lived up to the hype that he once was touted as a generational talent. talent. He looks like a number one overall pick, not necessarily on the score sheet, but everything we talked about Lafreniere potentially being before he was drafted to the Rangers with his off-the-puck skills, his leadership, his grit, the way he was almost um, very, very poor man's very, very rough comparison. Sidney Crosby-like with the, you know, the Ramuski comparison there, leader of a team of what he can do on the ice without the puck. Lafreniere has done that for that kid line, and it generated, you know, into two goals for Phil Pita last night, Lafreniere at a pair of points. And I'm going to be honest with you, I if you're talking who's the favorite to win the Stanley Cup after game one's on both sides, I think you could say the New York Rangers. Wow. Look at how about that drop? Yeah. I mean, I, I, until I, I'm proven otherwise. Disagree? Yeah. How, how, how would I disagree with you? Um, until Tampa loses at home, though, I'm not going to. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't, let's think, I don't think I will agree with you. But yeah. this is going to be a series. Tampa's going to come out firing in game two. I wouldn't be surprised to see Tampa take it. I think for the New York Rangers, if they can take game two, then you have to go less than 500 the rest of the way and you win a Stanley Cup. So, I, I, you know, you're you're not wrong. Um, does, does Lafreniere get a little bit of the we forget he's 20 syndrome? Big time. Coming into the league and going immediately to the league. Like Rasmus Dahlin, same thing. Um, Lafreniere. Like it's, it's hard to be an 18-year-old in a men's league right away after you've only played junior. It's like... Some of the kids like Rasmus Dahlin's played even you would even expect him to be better because he's played with men in Sweden in the SHL. But still not the same yeah, like, speed. Yeah. You're right, speed. right. Yeah, you you forget that these kids are kids, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people I, I know, I know Buffalo fans are impatient. Myself being one of them, but we we got to remember like like Tage Thompson breaking out at 25 or 26 makes sense mm-hmm. because that's when you're you're physically and mentally kind of peaking as a as a development yeah kind of as an athlete. so uh, that's that's why i think lafreniere i i wouldn't be surprised to see him have a year like next year where all of a sudden we're saying holy shit lafreniere's top 10 points holy shit lafreniere's top 10 you know selkie kind of stuff and then i know that's not his main game but he's smart enough to be that kind of guy right he can be and that was you know the concern with lafreniere has always been his skating he wasn't the best skater mm-hmm. but he was for right or wrong reasons, hyped up as this generational talent. Maybe that was because after the McDavid and Matthews draft, we didn't have a guy for a couple of years. And, you know, that's no discredit to Rasmus Dahlin and your Buffalo Sabres. But Lafreniere was the big next one, right? He was the captain at Ramuski. So was Sidney Crosby. He was young. He was, you know, he's been the guy there. So he was thrown onto the scene as, hey, this is going to be the next one. He hasn't looked it totally. And I mean, there's no shame in saying that. I wouldn't say he's a bust, and in fact, what he's doing in the playoffs, like I said, I think he actually is starting to look like that generational leader on the ice that does a lot more similar to Sydney's game, 
where he does a lot more away from the puck and sets up plays and creates offense. And he's not necessarily the guy that's on the score sheet, you know? Totally agree. Um, who do you think is the most important New York Ranger over the next two weeks? I'm going to give you three. Yep. Tyler Mott, Barkley Goodrow, or Ryan Reeves? Tyler Mott. What a pickup. He's and he's kind of like if you think about the twelve forwards on the on the you know twelve starting forwards, he's probably the last guy you think of. Yeah, but he's been playing out of his mind. Like the last three or four games, he seems to be everywhere, especially with that line. Something changed, you know. Obviously, we know what it is. I'm just saying, like something changed in the New York Rangers when Tyler Mott came back from his injury because he was he played in like two games post deadline, then was hurt and came back game five in the Pittsburgh series. Mm-hmm. Something changed when Tyler Mott entered the lineup and the Rangers were able to ride that wave, that depth that they had and the co- how comfortable they were with him on that fourth line to the Carolina series. And then something changed again when Barclay Goodrow stepped onto the ice in game six or game five, I think, in Carolina. Or, uh, no, game six. I'm sorry. Game six in MSG was Goodrow's first game back. It changed again. The Rangers dominated game six. They went on the road and dominated game seven. And... To me personally, and to kind of close up my point as the Rangers being the favorite right now, can we start saying that the line of Mott, uh, Goodrow, and Ryan Reeves, which Ryan Reeves is Ryan Reeves, right? He's not the most sure. skilled player, but you have to be somewhat skilled and fast enough to keep up in today's NHL. You can't just be Marty McSorley out there. He's, he certainly makes the kid line a little bit faster, yep. right? Is that on par with what we saw at Tampa, these last two Stanley Cup runs that they had? It's a great fourth line. They have great depth, and that's part of why I'm saying that the Rangers appear to be the team to be right now because when you have a fourth line like Mott, Gaudreau, and Reeves, they can go out there and provide a little bit of offense through Mott, and Gaudreau just blocks every shot that comes his way, and Reeves is just going to scare everybody on the ice and hit him after, you know, three seconds after they get rid of the puck. Like, that's that's how you win a Stanley Cup. Right. And that's, to my point, why I think the Rangers are – one of the favorites, if not be the favorite right now, and largely, like you said, Tyler Mott, the most important New York Ranger. You know who may be the most important Tampa Bay Lightning? Uh, a guy who's been seen practicing. You might know him as Braden Point. Does he get into the series? No. Nope. I don't think he does. What makes you say that? Uh, let's, this is, I don't think he does. We'll just leave it okay. at that. Okay. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, Braden Point, it's nice to, a little bit of gamesmanship, perhaps, that, oh, yeah, he's on the ice. You know, he's doing something. A little bit of gamesmanship there, I would imagine. I will. Okay. So <laughs> I don't want to say too much because I'll get no, myself no, in no, trouble. No, 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 no. Don't, but, don't all right. I could go, I could get one more point in. Okay. He was hurt last year in the playoffs, and he was on that game management thing where he'd sit two games, he'd come back when they needed him, you know, mm-hmm. pivotal game three, game four, to turn the series back home. He'd come in, and then he'd be out for a couple of games. Similar situation to that, I just don't think he has the ability to come back for those every once in a while games throughout the rest of this, this postseason. I think he's in. Uh, he's injured. He's not hurt. He's well, injured. I was going to say, we'll leave it right there. Does that give Anthony Sorelli a gigantic payday? Come, let's see, 2023, he'll be an RFA. Yeah, and I would say, well, is it going to come from Tampa? By the way, per- perennially, like, oh, Anthony Sorelli could be traded. Ooh, like, he was kind of the next Tyler Johnson, right? Where it's like, yeah, he's really good. We're not going to be able to afford him. Like, he's going to be the trade bait. He's sort of been that Filipino. Now he's centering the first line. Mm-hmm. So does, does that mean Anthony Sorelli is 
sort of the breakout player for the Tampa Bay Lightning this this postseason? Yeah, he's ex- he's been extremely important for Tampa, especially after Point went out in Game Seven against Toronto. He's going to get paid, and he's going to get paid by Tampa because he's an RFA under control. Now, if he was a UFA, I'd say he'd go out and get you know six and a half, seven on the open market with the performance mm-hmm. he has right now. The only thing, and this is no slight against Anthony Sorelli, but I was having this conversation the other day. Do we, Braden Point aside, because Braden Point has proven he can generate offense and he's elite in his own right. He's skilled. He's a fast player. Historically speaking, since Kucherov came into the league and maybe even a little bit longer with Stamkos, have we been penchant to hype up whoever gets thrown in on the line with, you know, Kucherov and Stamkos? Like I think of Vlad yes, Nemestikov. Absolutely. Vlad Nemestikov is a guy who was a 70, 80 point scorer on that line, goes to New York in that Ryan McDonough trade, fizzles out. And now he's just, you know, one year, 1.5, bouncing all around the league, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's that's my thing with Sorelli. Now, I'm not saying Anthony Sorelli is susceptible to fall into that trap. It's just, to me, Braden Point is the only guy that has proven that he's elite with or without those guys. Every other center that's played with them so far, I think you could say, well, he's playing with Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov. You're not wrong. Uh, speaking of guys that have fizzled out, you know who I deep uh, deep dove on yesterday? Light on me. He, he used to play with a very talented forward in Edmonton. That's Niall Yakupov. Remember him? Oh yeah. Little First run with uh, yeah, little run with Edmonton and then Colorado. Mm-hmm. Niall Yakupov still in uh, playing in Russia currently. Oh, there you go. Well, good for him. By the way, speaking of before we jump in, I want to talk Carolina. But before we do that, this is not a sponsor thing. Uh, Buffalo Sabers news. Former. Buffalo Sabres prospect, which still technically they hold his rights, defenseman Lawrence Pilot, mm-hmm. playing for Tractor in the KHL, yep. currently wants out. Ooh. And we kind of wrote him off as like he he left the Buffalo development system because he's like, fuck playing in, in Rochester. No offense to Rochester. Great city. But I don't, I don't, I don't want to be here. Great city, the Flower City. They, uh, they basically were like, well, you're not going to play in Buffalo right now. He's like, well, your team sucks. Why aren't I playing? I'm, I'm playing for the Amherst. When I did get looks in Buffalo, he was fantastic. Got kept getting sent down under the um, Kruger regime, right? Uh, and now the Swede wants to come back, mm-hmm. according to reports. For, it was a, a very funny, like the, the Russian rooster or some publication out of uh, that covers the KHL was like, yeah, Lawrence Pilot wants to get out and come back. So the, an already good Buffalo decor. Pending an uh, you know an addition of an RFA or a UFA this year, could get even better with a guy who's ready to step in tomorrow. Yeah, in Lawrence Pilot. Uh, so that's my news there. But let's get back on track. Goodbye, Carolina. The Hurricanes are no longer. What happened to them in Game Seven? NRD. So, I I think that when you win, when you're six and zero at home in the playoffs, and you're zero and five on the road going into a game seven or oh and six or oh and seven i don't even know what the fuck they were at that point you like it's not sustainable teams now figure out your game plan this is how you play on the road this is how you play on home this is what they do differently and the rangers have a great film staff they had even under david quinn they've always you know i don't is know one of I'm them a, you no i am not on the rangers <laughs> film staff but i i did notice some things uh oh, okay. you know they haven't really divulge too much in the analytics department, but their film staff is still great in New York. And they were able to note what Carolina does at home that they don't do on the road that the Rangers are able to take advantage of. 
Carolina didn't give him another look at home and another look on the road. They were the same team from game one in the Boston series all the way through to game seven in the series against New York. It took some time for teams to figure it out, but the Rangers finally were the team that figured out Carolina, how they play at home, how they like to forecheck, how they like to, you know, smother teams at the attacking blue line, keep them back, don't let them break into the zone. The Rangers figured it out, and then they just played around them. Now, did they get some help by way of uh, Jacob Truba laying out Seth Jarvis? And it, in my opinion, clean hit, and we can discuss this. No, I agree with you. No, nothing to discuss. Did they get opinion. help there, and he's crawling off the ice, and they call a too, too many men penalty on Carolina? Yeah, they get help there. Do they get help from Antiranta getting hurt? Yep. Yeah, they get help there. But too. you can say that the game, you know, the Rangers probably took the air to that building way before that. Um, I would yeah. say, if anything, Strom, the third goal, right when Kochektov came into the game, was the dagger at that point. But like Carolina just gave the Rangers the same looks at home and on the road. The Rangers finally figured out what they were doing at home and was able to stop them. It wasn't like they had anything else to go off of. So I think it's just a tall tale of. When you're that successful at home and when you're that terrible on the road, eventually a team's going to figure you out. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I never realized, well, I guess I did, but I never think I saw the stats. Like seven or eight out of ten times the the team that scores first in game sevens wins the series. 75%. Seven, and so it's like one win percentage. Yeah, and and so you got to imagine if you're Carolina and you the first goal goes in and you're not exactly buzzing around, like it wasn't a flute goal or anything, you're like, fuck, man, this is, this is tough. And the second one goes in. And then your goalie gets hurt, and all of a sudden, the, the it's deflating, mm-hmm. absolutely deflating. Um, what do you think of Rod Brindamore's comments, basically saying we're good, but we don't have elite scoring? Is that a shot across the bow, or is that just kind of an emotional response? No, it's a shot across the bow. I mean, you look at how Waddle, I think it's still Don Waddle there, right in Carolina, yes, it has yeah. run that team. Just like they spent a lot of money on Jesperi Kotkaniemi, and like he's not an elite scorer. He's a third line player. He's a damn good third line player, but he's a third line player. And they paid him a lot of money just to spite the Montreal Canadiens for giving that for a long time. For a long time. Would you think? I mean, he'd obviously get more than what you know Jesperi's getting paid, but like. Wouldn't you be better off putting that money towards a Philip Forsberg run in the offseason? Like, put Philip Forsberg on the Carolina Hurricanes. And they didn't have that foresight. They just wanted to spite the Montreal Canadiens with that offer sheet as payback for Sebastian Ajo. So I think it is a shot across the bow in ways. And you know what? The stats back it up. They were terrible on the power play. And that is not sustainable for success either. They went ice cold on the power play in round two against the New York Rangers. So if you are Don Waddle, you have a ton of decisions to make this offseason. You had one of the best regular seasons in Hurricanes history, if not the best. And now you're looking at re-signing Marty Natchez, Matt Domi, Nino Niederreiter, Vinny Trocek, Ethan Bear, Tony D'Angelo, and then like an Ian Cole, Brendan Smith combo, who probably won't get a lot of money. But like, what do you what do you do there? Are you trying to build the same team, or do you take some money off the table, maybe on the defensive end? The Tony D'Angelo who's going to go get paid elsewhere, basically rehabbed his image, right? Mm, well, so that was where my first point was going to be. He did do some stupid shit in the series against the New York Rangers. He was uh, a clean as a whistle up until the playoffs to me. Yeah, he, he had a good regular season for the most part, and then he decided to revert to the old Tony D'Angelo. So to your point, they might be able to get away with no other team wanting to pick up his baggage and might be able to get him. They're going to have to pay him a little bit more. 
but maybe not as much as he can get on the open market, and it's affordable for the Carolina. Well, he so he is he is an RFA, so they, I, I, I'm sure they could deny that, right, mm-hmm. and say, okay, we're gonna you know we're not gonna tender you have to qualify, you. and then and then yeah, and then you're a UFA. But I, the, to me, so like game six, the game was for the most part over at that point. But Carolina, there were I think the game was three nothing or three one in the third period in Game Six at Madison Square Garden. Carolina is about to go in the power play. I think it was Jacob Truba, Truba or Keandre Miller takes a tripping penalty, and then the play is offsides, and then Tony D'Angelo shoots the puck on Igor Shesterkin like ten minutes after the whistle. Now it's four on four. The Rangers convert on that four on four. Dumb, dumb, and that's the Tony D'Angelo that is an idiot, and that. He's in the position that he's in because of that Tony D'Angelo. So maybe Carolina brings it back if they can tolerate him for a cheaper deal because on the biggest stage, he crumbled. Who was more in Tony D'Angelo's head? Ryan Reeves or Gerard Gallant? Or maybe himself, honestly. Himself, the New York Rangers. Himself yeah. and the New York Rangers. I think he came into that series with a lot of pressure to score and be the Tony D'Angelo. Because look, don't get me wrong. Tony D'Angelo without being Tony... If you took the personality and the name off the player and he was just player x with a silhouette around him kind of how i look because i'm anonymous Mm -hmm. (laughs) he'd be like a seven and a half million dollar defenseman with the way he plays the game and runs a power play and how that's in demand in this league but he's tony d'angelo i think he had a lot of pressure on that going into madison square garden the crowd got on him the crowd got in his head he was too busy chirping and then to see ryan reeves laugh in his face in the series was just over for him i mean he scored a garbage goal in game seven after the game was over, but that was the only point he had in the entire series against the New York Rangers. It's t- it's tough. It's tough. And you know what? They they are going to have space because they they don't have the Toronto problem where three guys are making eleven million dollars. Ajo's at eight four. Sveshnikov's at seven seven. Jordan Stahl's at six. Teravainen's at five four. Kotiniemi made some a lot of money, but it's four eight. It's not gonna. It's not killing you. But to resign some of these guys, Natchez. You know, I don't know what you do with Domi. Good fourth line guy, but. Does he want to be a fourth-line guy? Do you want him as a fourth-line guy? I want him in Buffalo, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. So what do you, what do you, what do you see in their forward department? that, Or do you see a, a lack of something, right? Is, is that tailor-made for a Forsberg at $9.5 million? It's tailor-made for a Forsberg. I think Forsberg would be great on that club. You have a young center in Seth Jarvis who can generate offense. And, I mean – and like, two more years of of uh, basically free Seth Jarvis. Free Seth Jarvis and we and Marty Natchez as well, who's a great two way center in the National Hockey League and is turning into one. You have guys like Sveshnikov and Aho. Sveshnikov was you know non existent for the most part in that round two series. So was Sebastian Aho. I think Ian Cole was like the generator of most offense through the first four games of that series, and that's no way to sustain success. So yeah, they need as many. Well, just a little shot there, you Ian know. Cole. I don't love the analogy with everything that's going on in the country, but like you need to load up. You need to restock the arms. You need to re uh, ammo yourself. You know what I mean? And as many guys as you can have in the armory as possible in Philip Forsberg or any offensive talent, it helps, especially in the playoffs. When if one guy's cold, the next guy will just step up and be hot. And does that make, uh, that's what I think with Carolina. Does that make Vinny Trocheck the odd man out? He's a heart and soul player, Uf- but yeah. 20, 28-year-old UFA. Yeah, I'd let him walk. And I know Carolina fans are not going to be happy with me saying that, but I'd let Vinny Trocek walk if you are able to bring in another player that can provide some more offense to that club. Yeah, I think that's going to hurt the least. Good player. Really like the player. Just like he made 4.75 last year. 
UFA 28, I'm not going to pay him, you know, 5-5 five, five for another seven years. Exactly. I'd rather take that 5-5, five, five, add another two and a half, and, you know, go get yourself a Phil Forsberg. Something like that. Um, let's go to that that kind of covers the the playoffs right anything anything else in the bubble right now whether it's the Edmonton Colorado series whether it's the Tampa Carolina series or Car- uh, excuse me Tampa New York anything else today happening before we kind of get into the whip around portion of the episode no i i mean that solves the playoffs for now i'm really interested to see how both these game twos go i think they're more pivotal obviously we have to talk about them but they're more pivotal um than the first the first games of the series because I want to see how Tampa bounces back and I think Edmonton has a chance against the backup Pavel Francois in the net. Game two tonight. I am riding with Edmonton. Uh let's look around the league a little bit, shall we? We are where in the coaching carousel with Barry Trotz, with Rick Tockett NRD. Anything pressing that you want to get off your chest immediately? So with Barry Trotz, Emily Kaplan, good friend of the show, um, longtime listener, mentioned uh, last week on ESPN that there are some around the league that believe there might be something done between Barry Trotz and Vegas. Barry Trotz has had conversations with Vegas. And in fact, he's had a very fortuitous and gracious offer from the Vegas Golden Knights to be behind the bench for them next season. Barry Trotz is not committed to anything yet. He's still taking his time. Some people wonder if that's his agent shopping around that offer. And other people wonder if Barry Trotz really just might want to go back to the farm, you know, and, and take his time. We don't know, really so, know what the weight is, but I don't think a deal is done yet between Vegas and Barry Trotz. Not saying it won't happen and not saying, like, full credit to Emily once again, just like the Winnipeg thing that didn't come to fruition. Full credit to where it's due, but I just, from what I know, it's not done yet. I have some odds on Barry Trotz. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Winnipeg three and a half to one, Philadelphia four to one, Detroit and Vegas both at five to one, Dallas six and a half to one, Florida nine and a half to one. Anything you liked there as far as odds go, or does that kind of fall in line with what you think as far as smoke goes? I don't know if Winnipeg should be the favorite. Oh, okay. From you know what I said last week on this podcast, and from the more conversations I've had with sources in Winnipeg. I just don't I don't think that Barry Trotz is going to return home and I say that in air quotes Brett can see it you guys can't to to Winnipeg. He's he's had a house in Nashville for quite some time now since he coached there. He obviously relocated via Washington to the island with the New York Islanders. So I don't see it as like this big homecoming for Barry Trotz. I don't know if he wants to take that challenge in Winnipeg. Does this it kind of feels like a hurry up and wait coaching carousel season? Like, there's usually somebody named, right? Like Marty St. Louis, for example, named the coach. He's he's doing his thing. Um, but but why is there not sort of, or is it sort of the trots domino falls and then uh, it's a rush? I don't think the trots domino is going to be the one that sets off the chain of events because I think I am in the camp of he's taking his time for his own personal reasons. I don't think it's shopping offers. I'm sure his agent is doing the best by him and shopping those offers in the meantime. But I think Barry Trotz can take another month if he really wants to, and teams are going to act quicker than that. How about a uh, how about the TV guys? Tockett and Tortorella. Both have interviewed with Philly. I think that if Philly does take one of the TV guys, it's going to be Rick Tockett over John Tortorella. 
I still think the Philadelphia and they have the opportunity now. I'm, you know, have to touch base again to see if that conversation took place. But Jim Montgomery in Philly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, as he is now out of the playoffs, in out St. of the Louis playoffs. Blues. Yep. And uh, our good friend Elliot said that, oh, it's been said out there. Yeah, it was said on the Cold Stove podcast. You know what you're talking <laughs> about, Elliot. Um, you add me next time. But yeah, Jim Montgomery, a big fan. He's got a big fan in the organization of the Philadelphia Flyers. They're going to speak to him. I still think he'd be a great coach for that club. And the most interesting team now, I mean, I still think is Stevie Y. We talked about it last week. They're going to go off the board. I I know they're going to go off the board. Does that mean like a, oh, I don't know, Pete DeBoer? Maybe a Mike Babcock reunion? How about that? I don't know if it's a retread in Detroit. I think it's off the board in a well-deserving assistant coach or a well-deserving AHL coach. Who can take How about that next college? Step. Is there any college coaches that come to mind? Or like, you know, the, the perennial Ricard Ronbord talk? I don't think those, like the college white whales or the European white whales, I think it's an NHL coach, assistant coach that's well-deserving, or perhaps like a guy like Benny Gruel, a, a winner at the AHL level who Stevie Weiss comfortable with. Imagine, uh, imagine this scenario on RD. Speaking of uh, Red Wings in the news, certain trailer comes out last week. Everybody gets everybody fired up. The early 2000s, Avalanche versus Red Wings. There's a coach. Uh, he might be in Canada right now coaching a uh, coaching a junior team. Might have played goalie. No. Nope, we're not going there. <laughs> you know where I am going, though? Besides St. Patrick himself? Come on. We're It'd at. be fun. Uh, Derek Lalonde. Well-deserving of a head coaching job. Oh, okay. On John Cooper. What's his What's his story? He's on He's on John Cooper's staff in Tampa Bay. He was brought in with John okay. Cooper. He's been John Cooper's, you know, right hand right hand man for quite some time now. Obviously, he has a Stevie Y connection as well, and is deserving of an NHL coaching shot, and has had interviews in years past. I look at Benny Gruel. I look at you know Derek Lalonde as guys for the Detroit Red Wings, where it's off the map enough where we're not talking about you know it's not a Mike Babcock Babcock or something like that. But it's a Stevie Y pick, just like we talked about Mo Sider being the pick and like, what the hell is Stevie Y doing? But Stevie Y knows. Would, and would Stevie Y also have connected with him at some point in the Tampa years? Yeah, they, they overlapped completely. Okay. He was part of John Cooper's staff when Stevie Y brought up Cooper through the system. So there you go. I like that. Um, I, I hate that you you hate my Patrick Waugh theory. but That would be maybe fun, someday. though. How, how much fun would that oh, be? Oh, my God. If Patrick Waugh was the coach of the Red Wings, I think there would just be a collective like NHL aneurysm. Open up the multiverse of the NHL. Open up the multiverse is right. Um, we mentioned Marty St. Louis, uh, St. Louis, St. Louis, St. Louis. Marty St. Louis. Can't talk today. Marty St. Louis. We mentioned him briefly. Anything that you want to add to uh, his tenure? You know, an interim coach who stepped in with with Hughes and and Gordon and those guys, and and now full on head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. I think you broke that scoop like three or four weeks ago on this podcast. You said they're locking them up. It's done deal. Um, so shouts to you. Thank you. Shouts to you because that only um, became official like a couple of days ago. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it was more it was more educated guessing with a little bit of smoke on that, but nothing that I could have reported. No, but, yeah. but good job. We're a Thank cold you. stove pod. We're on top of it. You know what I can report actually? All right, I, I did hear this. Uh, Mike Pekka. Getting thrown around, like bumped up to NHL, either assistant coach. I don't think it'll be a head coach, but I think Mike Peck will be much more involved, whether it's Buffalo um, or another team on on an NHL bench versus coaching in in 
Rochester next year. We'll see. I know teams like him. I think it's going to be he. It's going to he's going to kind of pick his opportunities. He's got enough money. That Michael Pekka. Islanders great, by the way. You want one more name? Then I'm gonna throw in this. Sure. Kirk Muller. In this coaching search. I haven't heard that name in a, in a minute. Why Kirk Muller? There's connections with Kirk Muller and teams. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at this, and people can draw the straws. There's a connection with Kirk Muller and a top free agent that's about to hit the free agent pool potentially, and a team that's looking okay. for a coach and said top free agent. Do of that as you wish. Okay, I will leave it there. Before we move on from coaching, I'm just gonna throw. I'm gonna I'm gonna start the like the the musical chairs here. Mm-hmm. NRD, couple names, Reach Reds, guys that haven't been in the league in a second. Like like I mentioned, Babcock, Bonus, Quenville, Travis Green, Claude Julien, Blashill, DeBoer, Alain Vigneault, Guy Boucher. Do any of these names do anything for you, or is that just kind of the they're getting phone calls at their cottages more than anything and saying? I don't know. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, I think it's the la- the latter of what you just mentioned. None of those names really stand out to me. And good, right? Good. I think we've all um, been wanting some fresh blood behind the bench in the National Hockey League, and we're seeing. You know who I, I think will get another chance at some point. Who is a, Dave- a David Quinn? Yeah, well deserving of one. I mean, he really, out of all those names you just mentioned, he's probably the least of the retread. In that mm-hmm. he was a college coach. He was, you know, thrown in to develop the rebuilding New York Rangers. They make the switch to the Gallant this year. Clearly, the Rangers made the right move, right? Like by firing Gorton and Davidson and Quinn for saying that they're ready to take the next step. They did. So kudos to James Dolan for calling that one right. Sure. Um, Don't, he doesn't get a lot of kudos, but NRD will he'll give yeah, him kudos here. Just to James Dolan. He got something right. Um, but yeah, like Quinn's well deserving another, another shot. The only yeah. thing is, is there a rebuilding team out there that's looking for a coach? Because I don't know if David Quinn's the coach that you want to bring in for a team that's on the cusp of or competing. From what I heard in New York, and this is a little insight into the tenure of David Quinn, there were a lot of things that didn't mesh between some of the veteran players and David Quinn. Like, they were on the team bus at a certain time. There was no beers on the team bus. There was, we're going to do things this way. We're all going to have, you know... A ten thirty lunch powwow or ten thirty breakfast. So he powwows. right he 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 runs a he runs a college. Program. He runs a college program in the National Hockey it's League. It's the it, Jim. It's the Jim Harbaugh effect. Exactly, and it worked well for some of the young guys in the New York Rangers. I think he's mm-hmm. you know large in part responsible for what happened with Keandre Miller there, and he got Tony D'Angelo on the right track um, to be paid what he got paid before he got bought out by the New York Rangers, and you know all those guys. But for the veterans, it rubs them the wrong way. So I think. For, for a team that's looking at David Quinn, you have to be a team that really wants to develop not just one or two young guys and the rest of the team are vets. You have to have six, seven, eight guys under the age of 25, I'll say 25, you know, and want a system of winning and a system of culture and a system of how to be a pro um, there. Not You don't bring David Quinn on a team like Dallas and say, go win a Stanley Cup. How about Detroit? They're ready, though. To me, they're on the cusp. I think so too. There's a changing I, I of the guard think, in the Eastern I Conference. I think so too, but they're still they're still young. Like let's not get that. Is they're still young, even though they get Mantha back, who's a you know a veteran. He's a young veteran, but he's a veteran. I don't hate that, but you think they need a, a sort of a hard ass at this point. I think that, a win now. I think more Detroit has the opportunity. I still think there's a changing of guard in the Eastern Conference, and that 
in large part, that's because of how Steve Eiserman has drafted over the years. And Detroit and New Jersey and teams like that are ready to take the next step as the Pittsburghs and the Washingtons and the Columbuses kind of fall out. Man, maybe even Florida. Maybe... Do we see Florida having the same success next year? Oh, God. You know, with Florida, it's so interesting, though, because is like, is Brunette staying? Did, did the playoffs kind of prove that they're a regular season or, or at least that Brunette in the regular season can set the thing on cruise control? And they can, you know, get a 110 points. But in the playoffs, when you actually have to coach and it's 0-0 and your record doesn't matter a, a shit in the playoffs other than you get four home games, is he still there? And and would Quenville, you know, depending on what happens legally there, would he come back? I don't think you can at that point. I think you'd have to go fresh start somewhere else, if even possible, which obviously is months, if not years away. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I probably say if I'm if I'm the, the GM in Florida, I've, I don't Barry Zito. remember who it is. Zito. Do you say I think we kind of not blow it up, obviously, but but we need a new guy at the helm here. And that to me is is sort of a Claude Julien. Sorry, Bill Zito, Barry Zito pitch. Bill's, Bill Zito, Barry Zito's the, Pitcher uh, for the nasty, De- nasty curveball for the Zito. Detroit Giants. Uh, not for the Detroit Giants, for the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, sorry. Maybe like a like Claude Julien kind of you know redo in Florida, but I you know I don't know. We we talk about it a lot. Like, would Paul Maurice go down to to Miami, live there in the sun for a bit, and just just kind of put it on cruise control, and then know how to coach a team in the playoffs? If he wants to just have a good time and enjoy it's like, life. It's sort of a retirement. Yeah, yeah, it's like retirement. I could see it. But we haven't heard from Paul Maurice in quite some time now. I thought he was earmarked for the New Jersey Devils job. Speaking of which, I got a devil scoop. So I'm here whenever you want it, Brett. Before we get to your devil scoop, can we talk about a retiring player in Jason Spezza? What comes to mind when you think of Spets? Heatley, Alfredson, Spezza. What a, what a team. Mm-hmm. What a team. Wade Redden, Zidane Ochara. Yeah. Was, was Craig Anderson the goalie at some point there, too? Later on, Ray Emery. Emery. Rest in peace. Yep. Uh, Spets, one of, one of my polarizing guy, uh, especially in the media, kind of said what was on his mind, which I think a lot of people appreciated, mm-hmm. especially in the hockey culture. One of those guys you could always count on in the playoffs to score a bunch of points and, you know, terrorize the Buffalo Sabres. So uh, gonna miss having him, you know, popping up here and there. That Spets is getting goals. Same thing with, yeah, you know, like it, it just kind of feel like Patty Marlowe's of the world and like the our generation of hockey. The sort of the two thousand two to two thousand eight guys are all it, they're they're dwindling, man. Yeah, it's it's tough. The two thousand three legendary draft, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's get to your New Jersey Devils scoop. NRD, what's uh, what's hot off the presses in your world? They're continuing to look at good goalies in the net to push Mackenzie Blackwood, maybe push him up the chain or push him to the side even. Mm-hmm. And they are, we reported this way back when, March seems like eons ago at this point, um, but for the deadline, but New Jersey will feverishly monitor the situation in St. Louis with Billy Husso and Jordan Bennington. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So there, there's your scoop. There's your scoop. Um, this week, NRD, speaking of, of interesting things going on, NHL Combine Week. 
Much like the World Championships, I'm going to ask you this. Do you care? No. I think, what did McDavid do? Like a pull-up? Half a pull-up? Was he able to hang on the uh, bar for Casey, like four seconds? Casey Middlestat did zero pull-ups famously. Yeah. And people still tease him for that. So, I, but like the NFL combine is a huge deal. Yeah. Cause the so, how does the NHL, how does the NHL get to something like that? You know how I think they do it, NRD? I think the NHL combine, you know, you can do measurements, but you throw the force plates out the window, you throw the oxygen tests out the window, whatever. You can still do them, but make this a showcase. Let's play, let's scrimmage. That's all the kids want to do. Mm-hmm. They're all 18 years old. They're not going to get hurt. Like, tone down the checking a little bit or like, three on uh, three. In, you know, three on three, four on four, half fight, like something. Get like that. W- I would watch every single scrimmage. If it's like red, blue, green, gold, black, white teams, and you all have a team of 11 guys or whatever, mm-hmm. kind of be two lines, two pairs of D, and you play like seven minutes, seven minutes, seven minutes. And it's just these rapid fire showcase style things. I'd watch every single second of that. And maybe you even like manufacture power plays too. It's like, okay, seven minutes of of real hockey and then a power play for each team. Mm-hmm. You you each get PP one uh and you and you see who's got what. Yeah. And every game ends in a shootout. Like whatever. Boom. Yeah, whatever you gotta do. I agree. It. It's the reason why the NFL combine is so exciting is because you have they're playing football it's yes it's not a game but they're playing football quarterbacks are throwing receivers are Mm -hmm. running routes you know you got the 40 yard dash which is in my opinion overrated but it's still the tried and true test of speed in football with the nhl like you're saying the oxygen nobody wants to watch a guy wear an oxygen mask and ride a bike for 20 minutes it doesn't do anything for anybody so if the nhl wants to make it a spectacle i agree to your point completely make it a three-on-three scrimmage add in whatever quirks you want to add in if they don't want to make it a spectacle, I'll continue to not care, and I'll just make fun of it's whoever. It's such doesn't a good do opportunity, right? It's such a good opportunity to to in like inject some some life into the NHL. You know, playoffs are going on, so you probably, in my opinion, do it after the Stanley Cup, and then so then it's like Stanley Cup's presented. People are still rabid about hockey. You do it end of June, two weeks before the draft. And you turn it into a showcase. Like they, the kids have been doing showcases literally their entire lives. That's why half of them are in the position they're mm-hmm. in. You you kind of enforce like a beer league checking rule where it's like contact is allowed, but you can't hit somebody. Yeah. And and you go from there and you play hockey. I think that would I'd I'd tune in all the time and be like, okay, is this Slorovsky kid for real? Is Shane Wright for real? And because now that now you're best on best, mm-hmm. right? Having these kids play in these pro leagues or junior leagues, and they play against good competition, but how many times outside of the world juniors do you really get like best on best? And and this is kind of a problem in hockey in general. Mm-hmm. But how often do you get best on best hockey like anywhere? It's sort of like a soccer problem too, where you know the USA B team is playing Morocco's B team half the time in these friendlies. It's like yeah, you get to see young kids, but. There's no juice being brought. No excitement. Combine's cool because everybody, you know, everybody's there mm-hmm. and doing stuff. Granted, it's a little different lately because everybody's like, oh, I'm not doing the bench or I'm not doing this. But kids would like kids would play because hockey's not the the injury riddled sport that it used to be, that football is. You can keep contact to a minimum, minimum if you Especially if you go like three that. on three. Contact right, to a minimum three on, anyway. The only reason I would say 
no to three on three is because it it, it doesn't become hockey. It, it becomes the overtime like possession game. I just think that's more but in I, light of like the NFL skills skills competition. Uh, the, the oh, combine. It it's not really yeah. football, but they are running routes and they are making plays and they are catching the ball and their quarterbacks are throwing the ball. So if you wanted that, then I would say three on three. But to your point, I agree with the scrimmage too. Just normal five on five. Yeah, I would give give me give me. Uh, like the what do they used to do? They do like you get three teams on the ice and two teams play each other, and then the third team plays each other. Take like everybody takes a period off type yeah. of thing. You just get you get best on best hockey. Mm-hmm. So then I can see Rutger McGrody, future Buffalo Saber. I can see Frank Nazar, future Buffalo Saber. Like I want to see guys in a, an environment where they're going up against the best players in their age group, competing for draft position. Mm-hmm. Right? Like think about how important it is in hockey to be top 10 or top top 15 because like the chances of you panning out not only increase but you get a bigger opportunity sooner because these teams are looking for kids to step in and, and be players yeah, i agree so there's how you fix the nhl combine you put it on espn espn2 boom fixed. and you have a product and you have a product yeah you can you get elliot merrick there get you and i there we'll talk to kids Get Pronger there, teach him about finances. <laughs> Travel and finances. Taxes. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh NRD, anything else before we bounce today? A little bit of a, an abbreviated episode. No, I mean, this is fun. We are in the home stretch for the NHL mm-hmm. season, but we are not in the home stretch for the Cold Stove podcast. Let me tell you that. Things are our season really. I mean, our season is always going. We don't stop, you and I, Brett, but our season really oh, yeah. kicks up again for the draft we'll, uh, and free agency. There's a pretty good there's a pretty good six weeks there. We'll, we'll we'll be at cottages with the rest of them, late July and August. But other than that, we don't stop. No. This, in fact, we're. I mean, for me at least, the insider, if you will, the people's insider. Some have said I haven't said it, but some have said so. Um, the people's insider is ready to go for the draft and free agency. Let's rock, baby. Let's rock. I can't wait. Uh, that'll do it for Cold Stove. I am Brett Merriman, your host at Schmerriman, Instagram and Twitter. That's NRD at NHL Rumors Daily. On Twitter, he's not going anywhere, right? Not fucking leaving. Not fucking leaving. We are Cold Stove Pod at Cold Stove Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Look for more from those properties here in the near future. There you go. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Uh, good deal. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the games. We'll see you guys next yep. week.